Good morning, brothers and sisters. Welcome to Incarnation this morning. Well, we're back in the book of Acts today um, after a little bit of a pause um, for Advent and for Christmas. And today we're actually going to do something different. So instead of a traditional sermon, I'm going to introduce the passage um, with some words, and then we're going to have just a discussion about it together. Um, So if this is going to work, you guys are going to have to participate. You're probably not used to this uh, during Sunday sermon, um, but there's going to be a little bit of a back and forth. I know you guys can handle it. So I'm going to introduce the passage. We're going to discuss it a little bit, and then I'll summarize it and say a few words in closing. All right? Sound good? So if you remember, last time we preached out of the book of Acts, um, we looked at Philip, who was one of the seven deacons. And uh, actually, um, let's pull up that map that I sent so we can get a sense of the geography. And this map shows you um, Philip's journey. And so he was in Jerusalem, and then when the persecution started... Uh, in Acts 7, when, Philip, uh, and we, uh, when Stephen is stoned, there's a great persecution. The church scatters, and Philip heads north to Samaria. And, uh, and then we see um, a whole Samaritan village come to know the Lord. They receive the word gladly, and then he goes back to Jerusalem. Well, in our passage today, uh, it begins in verse 26 that God sends him um, south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. So you see that? And then he has this uh, interaction with this Ethiopian eunuch in the desert. And then at the end of the passage, in, in verse 40, it talks about how he's seen in Azotus. And then he kind of makes his way up to um, Caesarea, which is actually where we find him at, uh, in Acts 21, much later. He's there with his uh, four unmarried daughters who are prophesying. And the cool thing about, um, about this is that um, Luke, the author of Acts, actually knows Philip in person. We learn that in Acts 21, that he met him, and that's probably where he learned the story that we're going to be talking about today. So it's a cool thing. Um, Actually, uh, Acts chapter 8, 26 through 40 is a really cool and significant passage for many reasons. This story of Philip um, sharing the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch. And by way of introduction, I just want to point out three firsts that happen in the book of Acts. So these are three things that happen for the first time. They haven't happened yet in the story. And so we come here to this passage, and and these are the three firsts. So first, the first first is um, this is the first story about someone accepting Christ who's not ethnically Jewish. So the biblical word for this is Gentile. This is the first Gentile convert on record. Now, when I, when I say this is the first Gentile convert, this takes a little bit of qualification because, of course, I just mentioned Philip had preached to the Samaritans just a few verses earlier than this, but because the Samaritans were like half Jewish, ethnically speaking, they were considered half-breeds by the Jews. They weren't considered to be full Gentile. They were distinguished. And now, on the other hand, some of you guys might have heard that, um, that the first Gentile convert in the book of Acts is Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And you would also be partially right. I mean, this is a really big deal story in the book of Acts. Cornelius' conversion is actually repeated like three times. But it's not actually the first Gentile convert. Cornelius is the first uncircumcised Gentile convert. And that's actually a really, it's a major thing in the book of Acts. Because essentially, um, whether or not these Gentiles needed to be circumcised before being baptized, before becoming Christians, was basically another way of saying, Okay, as the mission advances, do people need to become Jewish before they become Christian? 
Do they need to submit to the yoke of the old covenant of the Mosaic law before they receive the benefits of the new covenant? And this controversy uh, plays out later on in the book of Acts and and in many other parts of the New Testament. But for now, Luke skillfully avoids this controversy. And how does he avoid it? Because the first Gentile conversion he tells us about um, deals with a eunuch. So this is somebody who's already received more than their fair share of cutting below the belt. Right? So Luke kind of sort of punts this issue until later on in the book of Acts because, um, because he tells the story of the eunuch first. Now, who knows exactly what happened first chronologically, but I think this just shows that Luke is just this very skillful storyteller. So if a first century Jew is reading the book of Acts, and they're feeling a little bit sensitive about this idea that, that outsiders of, of the Jewish nation are allowed in the people of God now, well, they could first read the story about how Jewish people who were living in other nations all came to put their faith in Christ. That's in Pentecost, but they were still Jewish people. And then you learn that some priests come to know the Lord. And then we hear about this, you know, Ethiopian eunuch. And we're not sure exactly what's going on with the circumcision thing with him, but we're a little nervous about it. Um, But then after we're warmed up, then we hear the story about Cornelius in chapter 10. And it's a wonderful thing that the Lord made the first, uh, for sure, uncircumcised Gentile convert, um, that that came through the great apostle Peter. And so Luke is really warming his readers up theologically to this idea. He's kind of an apologist. That's not not to say that it's not real history, but it's to say that Luke is a skillful storyteller, and he's he's trying to tell us a theological story as well. So um, that's number one. It tells the story of the first Gentile convert. Number two, this is the first story in recorded history about a native African becoming a Christian. So the eunuch in this story is Ethiopian, which at that time actually um, was a kingdom in what, what's now today northern Sudan and not modern-day Ethiopia. But either way, he's, he's a black African. And this is the first story of, of somebody from Africa coming to know Jesus. And the fact is that Christianity has very ancient roots in Africa. Did you know that? Very ancient roots. And historians um, don't really know how it all got started. Because there's lots of legends that were floating around in the early church, but, but none of them are like incredibly reliable or verified. And so um, maybe this story answers that question, right? Could it be that in his joy, this eunuch returned to his own people and became like the apostle to Africa? Right? That seems very possible, doesn't it? All right, number three. This is the third first. This is the first story we get in Acts about an individual convert coming to faith in Christ, an individual convert. So this isn't, this isn't Peter preaching and then 3,000 people putting their faith in Jesus at Pentecost in a single day. Here sort of the microscope is turned up a bit and we see how this one guy who was a real man with real questions, how this one guy learned to put his trust in Jesus. That's why John Stott calls this a conspicuous example of personal evangelism. And I think for this reason, it's especially helpful for us, because very few of us in this room will get the chance to preach to thousands, right? But we will get the chance to talk about Jesus with real seekers who have real questions, like this eunuch in this passage. So this passage is very practical in this way. Rebecca Manley Pippert once said this. She said, Christians and non-Christians have something in common. We're both uptight about evangelism. 
Right? Isn't that true? I mean, it's not just that like the non-believing world is nervous about like somebody coming up and trying to like do evangelism to them, but we're terrified. And I, I, I think that's true, what she says there. So most of us, even if we've been following Jesus for a long time, we have um, some serious questions about evangelism. How do I bring up Jesus without seeming awkward? Right? How do I stay on topic without getting caught up in debates about politics or evolution? How can we let God lead the way in evangelism instead of trying to force everything into this like preset mold? And this passage has a lot of answers for us if we have ears to hear. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Like I said, most of our time this morning is just going to be a discussion instead of a sermon. And so I'm going to read this passage aloud for us one more time. It's Acts 20, uh, chapter 8. 26 through 40. It's on page 917 in your pew Bible, if you could turn there. 917 in your pew Bible. And I'd like you to follow along closely as I read this. And and then I'm just going to give you another few moments of silence after that to just scan your eyes over the passage. And I want us to specifically think about these four questions, and I have them up on a slide for you. So the four questions are, what surprises you in this passage? How is God involved in this evangelistic interaction? So it's between these two people, but how is God involved? What do you notice about Philip and what strikes you about the eunuch? All right, cool. So I'm going to read this out. We'll have a discussion about these four questions and I'll wrap things up at the end. All right. Follow along with me. Acts 8, 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip... Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him, And heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom do I ask, does the prophet say this, about himself or about somebody else? And Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he, reached to, until he came to Caesarea. The word of the Lord. Let me just give you just another moment to just kind of scan your eyes over that passage, thinking about these four questions. All right, you guys ready for some interaction? All right, so let's start with this first question. Um, What is it that surprises you about this passage? And you can just raise your hand. What surprises you, Benjamin? I think the 
all the connections in between. So, the, so like the spirit of war comes into the unit, bam. Then the eunuch goes and sees um, Philippines. And then just, Philip just invites him, like, um, just once again that kind of relational chain in between the Holy Spirit directly going into a random man, the random man going to see Philip, the eunuch. And then, and then they just talk about a certain verse that he happens to be reading. And then he's like, how can I understand this? Yeah. And then he, yeah. And, so, and then, so it never, it never actually says that the Holy Spirit goes into the eunuch. But the Holy Spirit does guide Philip. And I hear what you're saying, though. What surprised uh, Benjamin to be saying is all these connections. So the Holy Spirit's leading this guy, and this guy happens to be reading <laughs> Isaiah 53. Coincidentally, yeah. is the sovereign hand of the Lord at work or what? Yeah. Right? So all these things sort of coming together for this beautiful moment to happen all at once. The Holy Spirit leads in there. There's this chariot, you know. It, it, it's not really um, very common. Um, for us to think about the desert as being the place to go to do some personal evangelism. Like, that's a very counterintuitive command. The Lord, go to the desert road. Because um, I have a mission for you there. A mission to the desert? But man, was this a strategic kingdom encounter. And the Lord knew. Philip had preached to crowds, and now he's preaching to an individual. But the Holy Spirit led him to that individual. And that individual was a gateway Yeah, what surprised you, Robert? Well, it seems a little odd that the Ethiopian eunuch went to worship in Jerusalem. I wonder why right. that if he wasn't Jewish. Yeah, that's a good point. So did you guys notice that? Robin said it was surprising that the Ethiopian eunuch went to Jerusalem to worship. That's actually led some scholars um, to, to wonder whether it was an Ethiopian-born Jew or whether he was actually a black African. Although uh, we, will, we can say, we know from history, that as Judaism spread around um, in different places, it became like actually a fairly popular religion. It was ancient. It was clear that it was very wise. And so, so there would be these converts um, that, uh, or, or people that were very interested. They were called proselytes. And so this Ethiopian seems to be this African proselyte who's interested in Judaism. It never mentions that he's Jewish, which is significant. It mentions that he's Ethiopian. And so he came to Jerusalem, presumably... Uh, at the feast time, presumably for religious purposes, right? Because he came, it says, to worship. And so he, he went there, he, he worshipped. Somehow when he was there, the guy had some serious cash because he picked up a scroll of the prophet Isaiah, which is not, you know, just kind of sold on the corner bookstore for 10 bucks at that time. That's some serious money. And so he was a devotee of Judaism to some extent. Right? I mean, if you're reading a scroll of Isaiah aloud in your chariot while you're heading home, God's at work in your life. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, what surprised you, Ryan? Um, I'm surprised that God would use an angel of the Lord to tell Philip one thing, and then he, through the Spirit, tell him the next thing. Right. Isn't that interesting? So the first time that God directs Philip, it says he does it through an angel of the Lord. Um, which are oftentimes like sort of messengers of God's presence in the Old Testament. But then the next time that the Lord guides him, it's very directly through the Holy Spirit, which is much more common in the book of Acts, although we do get plenty of angelic activity as well. But yeah, so you see God sort of mixes it up a little bit. I'm going to give you an angel this time. 
I'm going to give you an impression from it by the Holy Spirit this time, you know. So, you know, Philip had to kind of keep his antenna up, didn't he? Yeah, Mike, what surprised you? Yeah, so, so Mikan, who's a disciple maker, she's like, hey, you know, um, if you baptize somebody, you're supposed to disciple them. You're supposed to make sure that they're kind of become strong in the faith. And it says, right as, they, as he came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And so it's this kind of, hey, I'm like, what? Like, I don't get to decide, I don't get to nurture this person? Like, I mean, there's really just a lot of trust that there had to be something real between this guy and God, and the Holy Spirit had to keep instructing him. And, and we do get the sense that, that there was something real because um, it says that the, that the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. You know, that, that joy, that's a, that's, a, that's a part of the fruit of the Spirit. Same, same word is used when the Samaritans um, put their faith in Jesus. They, they received it with joy. They received the gospel with joy. That's a fruit of the Spirit. But yeah, I mean, he essentially had to be discipled by God. <laughs> Um, because there was no other human person, person headed that way. Now, some of you guys are probably curious whether this is um, sort of, uh, you know, this is like the um, biblical version of, of like beam me up Scotty, you know, whether somebody is, is being teleported, whether Philip is being teleported from this desert road in Gaza um, to Azotus. And it's not really, um, it's actually not totally clear in the passage. Certainly they don't, they don't have the eunuch um, react as if that's what happened. He just sort of goes on his way rejoicing. He's not like, and he was like, where did he go? You know, he just goes on his way rejoicing. Um, it's not clear. Um, but one, um, one commentator said this. He said, I'm never anxious to read miracles in where they are not any more than I'm anxious to rule miracles out where they are in. So I, I think that's a good principle for us too. We're not sort of like anxious to see a miracle behind every stone uh, or, or behind every bush, I'm, I'm messing up uh, uh, <laughs> phrases. But anyway, uh, but at the same time, we're open to the fact that God can do some pretty amazing things, and we don't, um, we, don't have to, we don't have to always rule that out or be like, well, maybe the sun was aligned and it was the right solstice and all this, you know, come up with a naturalistic <laughs> explanation for it that just explains it away. All right, let me move on from this topic of what surprises you in this passage to this question uh, how is God involved in this evangelistic interaction? And we've already sort of begun to get into this with, with um, Benjamin's comment. But yeah, how is God involved? I got the impression that it was almost as if God was speaking through the eunuch. Because it was really strange how the eunuch was almost like guiding him. Yeah. Like, like how, how am I going to know if no one teaches me? Yeah. I'm like, why am I not being baptized? There's water right here. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it interesting how the eunuch is sort of taking the He's like, how can I, you're asking me this question, but somebody needs to explain it to me. Come up into my chariot, says he invites him, and then he's like, here's some water, why shouldn't I be baptized? And that might sound crazy to you, that might sound crazy to us, it's like 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 somebody who's not a Christian being like, but the thing is, but the thing is, is it shows that God was preveniently at work. He was at work in this man's life before Philip got there. It didn't all depend on Philip. There was some kind of thing going on there. Even the humility, right, that the eunuch um, shows, you know, to, to say, I mean, he, this guy's no fool, right? He's like the lead CPA 
for the for the queen for Candace, the queen, right? He's the he's the he's the accountant over all her treasury. Now I have a sister who's a, I have a sister-in-law who's a CPA, and you can't get that job if you're a fool, right? But he's also humble. He says, "How how can I?" Unless someone explains it to me, right? And um, and so God is already at work in this man's life. He's already responding, and sort of Philip comes in at the climax of God's work in his life. And you never know, like, somebody might need to, like, have a hundred encounters with Jesus before they decide to become a disciple. And you don't know whether you're stepping in on the seventh one, the 57th one, or the 99th one. You know, in this case, Philip came in right as that story was coming to a climax. And, it, and it's a really beautiful thing. I'll just say this, too. Um, we think this sort of thing doesn't happen, but if you're ready for these kind of evangelistic encounters, you'll get this kind of response sometimes. I think that's actually the way that it works, is like, um, if, if you're actually ready, like if, you know, if you're not ready, you don't even see it. You know, maybe this encounter presents itself to you and you don't even have eyes to see it. But if you're ready, if you're, sa if you're saying to the Lord, yeah, I'll talk to somebody, I'm willing to take a risk, then sometimes it'll just, this very low-hanging fruit will present itself to you. Um, I, there's actually somebody in this church who just a, a few weeks ago um, had the, the person who was serving the table sort of invite that person to share with them more about church and about their faith. Um, I, I can think of when I was a, a campus minister, there was an international student who, um, who basically invited one of our students, like, will you please explain the Bible to me? And, uh, and the student was, like, really resistant. They were like, ah, you know, and they were scared. And then they showed up, and all they did was sit down and look at John chapter 3. And, you know, uh, in order to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. You know, uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him. And, and, and this international student goes, that's it. That's what I want. And the student's like, they, they didn't even know what to do. They're like, uh, okay, um, well, let's just pray. You can, you can tell Jesus that. And the, and the guy's like, Jesus, I want eternal life. I believe in you. And like, no joke, we continued to see this student for years after that. And like, he just started going to church. He was an international student from China. And, and it was just like, and then he moved to Gainesville later on. And I, and I knew a friend whose church he went to over there. It was just, he was so ready that he was more ready than this student. Now, Philip seems pretty ready in this passage, I would say. But at the same time, it is a beautiful thing that, like, we think, man, evangelism, it's going to be like, you know, you know, tilling through some really, really rocky soil. But, like, sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes we're humbled um, by the humility, by the Christ-like humility of the person that we're actually trying to share with, right? And, and that's actually a, a way that God challenges us. That's right. That's right. I mean, a multiplicative effect, just like it did, it seems like it did with this Ethiopian eunuch. Now, um, we'll, we'll continue to talk about that question, how God's involved uh, in this passage, but let's, let's move to this next question. Um, what did you guys notice about Philip in this passage? What struck you about Philip? Yeah. He was avidly obedient. Yeah, he was avidly obedient, he said. So did you not notice that? It, um, the, the Lord said, go south to this desert road, verse 27, and he rose and went. You know, the Lord said, go over and join that chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading. Now this, this, this seems like an awkward thing to me, right? So Philip's in the desert, he sees this chariot, you know, he sees this dust cloud, this chariot going along. The Lord's like, that's where I sent you. And, and Philip's like, seriously? Okay. 
<laughs> you know, he's running, you know, just running beside this chariot. Somehow here's the guy reading Isaiah 53. Right? As he's reading it. Yeah. You know what he's talking about? <laughs> and the chariot's like, hold on, hold on. Right, you know, that's an awkward thing, right? See, Philip is willing to be a fool for Christ. And so sometimes the answer of like, well, how do I, how do I bring up Jesus without it being awkward? And don't get me wrong, it's okay to want to bring up Jesus without being awkward. Let it be as natural and peaceful as, insofar as it concerns you. <laughs> Let it be peaceful. But if it has to be awkward, if you have to look like a fool, but you're getting a chance to share the word of life, the eternal word of life with someone, then who cares if you look like a fool? Who cares if you have to run beside a chariot? Right? So he's running beside this chariot. The guy signals for it to stop. Yes, Philip was an obedient man. We just see this immediacy with his obedience in this passage. What else do we notice about Philip? Yeah. It, it doesn't seem like he has a lot of attachment to like the thing he's doing now. Because even after the interaction, you know, he, he's moving around. Yeah, okay. So he's a flexible man. He has some margin in his schedule. You know? He he can get in somebody's chariot and be like, I don't know how long I'm gonna be in this thing. <laughs> you know? They're just traveling along the road. Who knows how long he's sitting in there? He's like, I, I don't know how I'm gonna get back to Jerusalem. I don't know how I'm gonna walk back through this desert. You know? But he has margin in his schedule. Um, I might have shared this with you guys before, but um, one thing that Carissa and I will give each other permission to do is we're allowed to be late to get home to dinner um, if it's because we have an opportunity to share Jesus with someone. So, it, you know, with, with somebody who doesn't know the Lord. So, it, you know, for me, you know, I'm a pastor, so there could always seem like there's like a good excuse. It's like, I was meeting with this person and they really, really needed some extra time. We're having a prayer meeting and we really needed some extra time. But if I pull that card every day at a certain point, it's like, hey, come on. You need to get your butt home. <laughs> uh, but we just learned that um, when it comes to evangelistic encounters, it doesn't usually go on your timetable. It oftentimes happens at the most inconvenient time. Right? And so you, sometimes, you know, you just end up in a chariot heading, heading into the desert, you know? And, and it's like, you, you got to text your wife and say, I'm going to be late, <laughs> you know? Um, absolutely. Um, we see this in Jesus too, don't we? That he had this sense of margin. It's oftentimes when he's on his way to help one person that, that some other encounter will happen. And then he pauses to pay attention to that person and has that encounter. He's on his way to like uh, rest with his disciples and process the mission that they were just on and then 5,000 people show up. You give them something to eat. You send them away, Jesus. No, no, no. You give them something to eat. Right? So Jesus is awake to what God is doing in the moment and Philip is awake. He's awake to what the Holy Spirit might be calling him to do. He realizes as he's going throughout his day that he's an agent of the kingdom of God. And where he goes, the kingdom has, a, he, he has, he has an opportunity to be a kingdom bearer. Where he goes, there's the opportunity for the kingdom to spread. And so when he's looking around at his surroundings, he's, he's thinking as somebody that has been given authority, the authority of an ambassador for the kingdom. And he has this, this priestly role. He's a deacon, but he knows we all have this priestly role 
to kind of say, you don't know the living God? Well, well, I can I can introduce you to him. Right? I mean, that is it's it's a it's a precious thing that God has given all of you who name the name of Jesus. The ability to be an ambassador for the kingdom of God. He's given you that authority. And Philip's eyes are just open to the harvest that's around him, aren't they? But one of the things that I like about Philip, too, is that he's not, um, he's not formulaic, right? It's not like he has this plan and he's like, all right, I'm going to draw the bridge diagram. I'm going to lead this person down the Romans road. You know, even if, they, even if the answers that they're giving me um, don't really fit with what I'm wanting to hear, I'll try to kind of squeeze them into this evang- preset evangelistic path that I have for them to walk down. No, I think it's really interesting that Philip starts off with a question. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't start off just by preaching. He starts off with a question. So many good evangelistic interactions start off with a question. Do you understand what you're reading? And actually, this question, um, it's kind of an ironic question because in Greek, the word understand, to know, is the word gnosko. And the way that Greeks um, described the word reading, their word for reading was anagonosko. So it's to re-know. So if you think about it, it makes sense. So when uh, when someone knows something and they put it on a page and you read it, you have a chance to re-know something that's already been known. So in essence, Philip says to him, um, do you know what you are re-knowing? <laughs> so Philip asks him this good question, and, and, it, and it helps to jog in the man this, this sense of humility. How can I? How can I unless someone guides me? And, um, and then the man starts asking him questions because it's, it's not just that I preach at you and then you preach at me. It becomes a conversation, doesn't it? All right, let's, let's go to this last question. What strikes you about this eunuch? We've already mentioned some stuff in this regard, too. Let's, let's talk about this. What did you notice about the eunuch? Obviously, God had prepared the way. Well, it sounds like whatever Philip said about the good news, um, baptism stood out. Stood out. So yes. He, he had eyes for baptism. Yeah, absolutely. So this man knew... And I think this is actually very significant because we live in the Bible Belt South. But one way in which we've gone away from the Bible is we view like, well, if you're ready to convert, then repeat after me. I'm going to say the sinner's prayer. But he knew if, if I'm going to convert, that means baptism, right? It's not just a sinner's prayer. There's actually a sacramental entrance into the faith. Um, and so um, there was something about what Philip had described to him, something about what Philip had explained to him that he already knew that. And so when he saw this water, which, again, we see the sovereign hand of God, right? You're in the desert. You come up, hey, here's some water. <laughs> you know, at the perfect moment. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Yeah. What else do we notice about the eunuch? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so there's, there's, this is a cross-cultural interaction, and it's amazing how well it goes. 
And it seems like that happens for two reasons. One, because of Philip's willingness, and also because this man's humility. This man is humble. And if you meet a humble learner, it doesn't matter what ethnicity they are. It doesn't matter what nation they're from. You just kind of know it when you see it, right? When somebody's humble and ready to learn. Calvin uh, actually said this about the Ethiopian's willingness to be taught. He said, that is why the reading of scripture bears fruit with such few people today. Because scarcely one in a hundred is to be found who gladly submits himself to teaching. Calvin said that. He's like, look at this guy. He puts us to shame. St. John Chrysostom said this, Verily, one has reason to admire this eunuch, for unlike Saul, he had no supernatural vision of Christ, yet he believed. So great a thing is the careful reading of the scriptures. So we see that the scriptures had prepared the way for him. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's right. So sometimes in Acts, you can really feel the cultural barriers, and sometimes you can't. You know, obviously with Cornelius, a big barrier is, uh, a big symbol is this clean and unclean food. Um, but somehow the gospel is able to go forth, and it's, it's a really unique and glorious pa- uh, message in that way, because um, people have believed the gospel who are the most brilliant people in their nation. You know, this, this guy, this eunuch was no fool. People have believed the gospel who couldn't read and are peasants. People have believed the gospel from agrarian societies. People have, you know, wh- wh- if, if, you're, if you're a culture that moves around a lot, it, you know, there's something about the message of Jesus that strikes people. And so I, I don't think it's surprising that as this man's sitting there, he's reading this amazing passage from Isaiah 53. And we didn't really go into this very much. You heard Carissa read it earlier. But could he have fallen on a better passage for, for, um, for Philip to read through with him, right? This is the one that talks about how Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It talks about the resurrection. It talks about how after he suffers, he's going to see the light of life and be satisfied. And so Philip could sort of say, all right, Let's start with this passage, and then he would continue to go. But there's something about just, uh, I, I heard a professor say that the gospel, that there's something about Jesus that's primitively compelling. There's something about the, the gospel that's just compelling to us. We just say, I feel this sense of alienation from a holy God. I didn't even know that there was one God. I wasn't even sure that there was a God, but I feel this sense of alienation, and somehow I long for the kind of reconciliation that can only come through the gospel. Benjamin, we'll let you have the last question here, buddy. My last question is, well, what strikes me about it is just how exactly targeted it is. Like, it's, it takes a lot of turns and jacks, but it's still, God saw his status far in range for his center target, like, drifting out into Christianity. But it so many jags and turns. Like, jag one, you get, like, it, uh, weird angel comes to Philip, not like he's unused to it, but, yeah. and then like, he sees this man, yeah, you know, he has to look like a fool, and then this man is reading the exact passage, Yeah. and then, yes, and then he's compelled by humility, as he said, yeah, Yeah. and then he gets the idea of being baptized, so it just feels like, yeah. five or six, very jagged turn, but it still looks his hardest. Yeah, that's right, so, 
uh, that's a good way of summarizing what happened here at Benjamin because there's this sense of God's sovereignty at work. It's like something very planned and targeted is happening, but it takes a lot of un- unexpected twists and turns in the desert and the angel's going to lead you and you got to run to catch up with that chariot and all this sort of stuff that comes until we get to um, this, this uh, eunuch that Jesus died for, that Jesus loved, um, coming to faith and being reconciled to God. All right, well, let me take a moment to summarize um, what we've said here and suggest how we might respond to this passage. So we began by mentioning that there are three firsts in this passage. The first non-Jewish convert, the first African Christian, the first story about an individual person coming to Christ. It's by no means going to be the last. In fact, John will preach next week about an individual person um, named Saul of Tarsus who comes to faith in Christ So there'll be these other individual stories, but this story is so instructional when it comes to evangelism. We notice that God was already at work before Philip got there and that the Holy Spirit remained active throughout the encounter. From the Ethiopian eunuch, we learn that not all Christians are angry, uh, excuse me, not all non-Christians, excuse me, are angry or easily offended, right? He was a seeker, God had been humbling his heart, and he was just looking for somebody to answer his questions clearly. He was just looking for some help. And from Philip, we learn the importance of taking small steps of obedience, of remaining connected to God, using scripture, and asking good questions. Right? So that's just, I mean, that's a guidebook to personal evangelism there that we get from Philip. But how about us? How can we be more like Philip? in this passage how can we grow in evangelism and maybe see some of our friends and neighbors come to know jesus i want to give us two practical steps first we need to learn from philip to start by asking questions instead of having our pre-locked and loaded answers so we need to learn how to ask people good questions and this is so countercultural. ask people what's your spiritual story like, what do you believe or, or not believe and why? And, and how, did, how did your mind sort of change down through the years? What kind of good experiences or bad experiences did you have with spiritual things? And, and what was that like? And what was your relationship like with your family? And just tell me about yourself because people aren't used to being listened to. And people are used to like, I mean, hey man, like things can get pretty tense in this like sort of Facebook culture, social media, jabbing back and forth sort of thing. You start asking people questions and you're genuinely interested in them as you should be, then it's disarming, isn't it? And then they're, they're open to hearing, okay, well, what's your story? And you should have a story, right? If Jesus Christ has not just risen on the third day, but he's risen in you, then you should have a story. People are so rarely listened to so much more willing to hear what we might have to share if we'll just listen. You know, this one author talks about when you're, when you're doing evangelism in a postmodern context, you should think about it as three stories. It's like first, you want to find out what their story is. And then people are open to hearing your story. Not, not just kind of zoom to the Bible, but just sort of what's your experience? Because people can't discount that, right? And then people might be open to kind of hearing the story of the Bible or the story of Jesus. And I think that's a good way to think about it in our minds. The second um, response, and this is really practical, very practical. You can come out to Core Wednesday this Wednesday. 
from 6.30 to 8. And during the second half of that time, um, Carissa and Michelle Brodeur will be training us in a very practical method for sharing your faith. Um, using um, some of your favorite uh, stories about Jesus and the Gospels and how do you use that as a starting place. So you have a good spiritual conversation with your friend and it's like sort of like a what next? Well, it's like, can I show you one of my favorite stories about Jesus, something that's really impacted me? And then they have a chance to, you know, stop interacting just with you and then now they're interacting with the Word of God and they begin to potentially interact with the Holy Spirit. And so it's it's a really organic approach that God has used to lead dozens of people to Christ during our time in Tallahassee, and I think you would find it very helpful. So I hope that you will come out for Core Wednesday this Wednesday. Okay, let me close this in prayer. And after I close this, we'll just go right into the prayers of the people. So if that person can get ready. Father in heaven, I feel like there are hearts in this room, and I know that sometimes my heart's been in this place where what we're communicating to you, even in an unspoken way, is unwillingness, closedness. And Father, we pray, I I pray for the believers in this room that you would open the door of their hearts to being willing um, to talk about Jesus, to talk about the thing that is most central to their life and existence. Um, and whether that conversation is peaceful or whether they, they feel awkward or, or, or have to be a fool, I pray for willing hearts, hearts that are, um, uh, that are laying themselves on your altar, Lord. You say that um, you're calling us to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing, and we pray that that would be the posture of our hearts when it comes to your mission. And Lord, I pray for uh, anybody in this room that doesn't know your son Jesus yet is not put his faith in him, is not baptized yet. Um, And I just, I I thank you, God, that you're there even when no one else is. Um, That you've been a part of that person's story. Lord, that you might be teaching them virtues that many of us in this room don't even have. And um, Lord, I just pray that you'd keep calling them to yourself, Lord. Pray that they, that everyone in this room would be reconciled to you, their maker. Because our hearts are restless until they rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen.